I'm a child of God. Have in my hand the powerful Word of God. Can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, Viva la revolution! <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, Man, it's so good to see you. There you go. That's better, huh? We want to talk this, uh, this month on the blessed revolution. Blessed revolution. Revolutions go on all around us. They're happening all the time. And uh, they usually don't produce very much. Somebody loses power, somebody gains power, and uh, it's a pretty ugly thing in most cases. But this revolution that we want to talk about is one that has eternal implications. This revolution is the one that we want to be a part of. <clears throat> this is the revolution where blessings come. We find the blessings in the book of Matthew in chapter 5. So with those Bibles or electronic devices you held up, would you turn to Matthew chapter 5? And uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 16, which is also affectionately known as the Beatitudes. Jesus is giving some instructions. He's on the, we've also called it the Sermon on the Mount. But uh, we're going to see in this series of messages the blessings that this revelation can bring. Not necessarily how the world sees blessings, but how God would see them through us. And that's what makes these thoughts so revolutionary, is that it's so different than what the world has to offer us. If we possess these characteristics, <clears throat> these that are found in the Beatitudes, Jesus says that we'll be blessed. And what I would like to do as we uh, begin this morning is to make sure that you understand that the Word of God is the powerful Word of God. There are times when we preach the Word and we teach the Word that it makes us uncomfortable. Would any of you agree with that? Anybody agree with that? If you'd raise your hand and say, yes, sir, I agree with you. Okay. Because I say that to preface the fact that you may be a little bit uncomfortable as I preach through this series. And you know what? That's too bad. Because you're going to be uncomfortable. One of the things that you might say to me is that, Preacher, you're stepping on my toes. I get that a lot from one of my brothers in Christ who hears me preach. And yet, uh, I always say to him, Thank you for sharing the load that I'm carrying on my toes. Because when I prepare for these messages, God deals with me too. And he deals with me sometimes in a harsher way than you. And so today, I'm going to be talking about salt and light. Because I think we have to start there when we talk about this revolution that God has called us to. But I thought it would also be good for us as we begin to learn about these blessings to kind of look at them all in total. So if you'll start in chapter 5 and verse 1 along with me, I want to read them to you. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, <clears throat> for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. May God bless the reading of Scripture this morning. <clears throat> now, by way of background on the teaching here of Jesus, many uh, believe that Jesus was launching his ministry in this chapter. And actually, it actually got started the chapter before. Uh, his fame was spreading rapid, uh, very quickly, rapidly. Word was getting out and crowds coming around to hear him uh, teach and to speak. Uh, they heard about this possible Messiah, this miracle worker, this teacher. So they wanted to check it out. And when Jesus began to see the crowds, he decided to have a staff meeting. He pulled his disciples together to have a meeting. <clears throat> and uh, those were... The disciples were those who had made a commitment to him, who had decided to follow him, and uh, so he was excited about sharing with them. And uh, that's really what a disciple is. It's a person, him or her, who have decided to discipline yourself under the teachings of another person. What we have decided to be is disciples of Jesus Christ because we then listen to his teaching. And we disciple ourselves and discipline ourselves under his teaching. Amen? That's right. Not me. If you're going to discipline yourself under my teaching, we're in all in trouble. So we're going to discipline ourselves under the teaching of Jesus Christ from his word. Because that's where we find the help. That's where we find the strength. That's where we will find what we need. But many people believe that the Beatitudes are this group of teachings that are universal to all believers <clears throat> on how they're supposed to live. While that may have one application to it, um, I think what he's trying to do, just my opinion, thank you, is that he was directly speaking to these disciples. He pulled them together. Now, there was a crowd around them, but they were there to hear what he was really going to say to those 12, or those who had even committed beyond those 12. And rather than, these, <clears throat> rather than these becoming laws or commands, they, be, they are descriptors. They became descriptors. They describe what a disciple looks like. Jesus never did say in any of this writing that you need to try to be poor in the Spirit. He said you will be poor in the Spirit. He didn't say you're going to maybe mourn. He said you will mourn. He didn't say you may be persecuted. He said you will be persecuted. So you see, he's speaking directly to those who specifically said, we're going to follow you. Now, does that apply to you? Have you said at some point in your life, 
I am going to follow Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Can I get an amen? amen. Can I get a hand raised? Can I get two hands up? Can I get a hallelujah? hallelujah. Can, it, can I get you to reach over to your partner and rub, rub their neck? No, I'm just teasing. Okay. <clears throat> Salt and light. Beatitudes. They're like road signs. These are the signs that Jesus is teaching to lead people on their eternal destiny. And so you and I are supposed to be a part of it. So he starts out, in my opinion, the, the, the most important thing to start out with is salt and light. Because we spend so much time either being salt or light, and yet mostly ineffectively. In the ancient world, salt was used to preserve food and seasoned food. They didn't have refrigeration back then. You may, you may have known that. I saw someone the other day who picked up a LP album. You know what I'm talking about? And her comment was, I've only read about these. I've never actually seen one or held one. And then she took a bite out of the end of it. I thought, awesome. Snacks. <clears throat> but salt would be put on meat or fish, and it would help with the decomposition, or at least it would slow down the process. So when Jesus says that we're going to be salt, we're going to be a source of preservation in this world. We're going to be a source of flavoring in this world. So what are we supposed to preserve, and what are we supposed to flavor? Some say we are, the, uh, we are to be the salt by preserving the moral values in our society. We are to be the guardians of traditional values. We've talked about abortion. We talk about homosexuality. We talk about all these things that seem to go against the grain of God. And yet, some would say that's those who are being salt or those who stand for those causes and are militant about it, are revolutionary about it. It's usually someone else's sin, surely not our own, that we seem to be concerned about. But a good question to ask related to the qualities of discipleship is, when do you ever see or read in Scripture Jesus taking up a cause like we do today? I don't think I've ever read that. Would he be on the street corner with a sign, Jesus? Or would he be trying to change the hearts of people through the qualities that he possesses and that he would teach and live? In fact, oftentimes in Scripture you find Jesus hanging out with the people that we tend to protest against. He hung out with the prostitutes and the tax collectors whoever you think is the lowliest parts of society. That's who Jesus hung out with, by the way. And the IRS, boy, we're all loving this exposure of the IRS, aren't we? Because they are, they're evil people. Amen? I mean, they don't give you any opportunity to say, I plead the fifth. Not going to answer. Don't want to incriminate myself. 
No, they take everything you own away and all of your children and all of your clothing and they leave you naked on the street. They foreclose on your house. They take all the food that you have. Every last morsel, you cannot have it anymore. If you eat potato chips, you will only be left with an empty bag and then they'll come get the bag. They're evil, aren't they? Amen. And we love the fact that they're being exposed now for how evil they really are. We all sit back and rejoice because they've been after us. Well, we're now going to come after them. Oh, really? Mm. Jesus hung out with people like that. He hung out with people that you and I don't really have time for. I just think that Jesus wouldn't be trying to get laws passed against behaviors of the people that he hung around. I think Jesus knew that you can't legislate morality. I think Jesus knew that. You can't legislate behavior. Only the inner heart can control behavior. Only a changed heart can decide whether you're going to live one way or another way. A changed heart can make the difference in how you are and how you live and how you carry yourself. I mean, prostitutes and tax collectors in this day would have avoided the Pharisees like a plague because they didn't want to be judged. <laughs> See, the Pharisees were the judges. Like so many churches and Christians today are the judges of mankind. We've set ourselves up. To look down our nose at everyone because we are morally superior now that we have Jesus. And you've got to say it in a certain way. You can't just say Jesus. You've got to say it with emphasis. Jesus. I don't really get all that. But God. Have you heard guys do that? That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. It's hard to follow them. Don't tell me as much as you live it. I want to see it. I mean, watch it. When I cut you off in traffic, I don't want you to wave at me like you're from Arkansas. I don't want you to do that. When I cut you off in traffic, I, want you to, I don't want you to ride on my bumper and, and, and wave your fist at me in the mirror like this. When you step in front of me in the checkout line, I've been waiting, and I have a whole lot more items than you do. But because you have a few items, you think you're privileged, and you should go ahead of me because your time is more valuable than my time. Don't worry about that knife I have in my hand that I'm going to stab you with. No, it's just one of those things. You know you've thought about it. You know it. Jesus was the kind of salt that attracted the most unlovely kind of people to himself. Guess what? He attracted you too. I guess we're pretty unlovely, huh, at one time. Yeah, we were. Yeah, we were. And he attracted us to him. And he still attracts us to him. Why? Because we fall in love with him more every day, don't we? That is awesome, isn't it? That's the best part of it. Paul says it best in 1 Corinthians 5, 12, when he says, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? I need to quit worrying about that. not my business. We got people, though, in the church judging each other in the church let alone outside the church. It's easy to judge them outside, but it's what we do to ourselves inside. Oh, it's amazing. 
Our focus is to be on what God has called us to do, not to judge others inside or outside the church. Our job is to advance the kingdom of God, not to run the kingdom of the world. If you think you're supposed to focus on the world's values and extract change, you're going to display just the opposite qualities that the Beatitudes are teaching. Rather than being humble, you're going to display that you are morally superior. And instead of being meek, you're going to come across as being arrogant. And our job is not to appear morally superior, but rather to have the mindset of the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 1.15 when he said, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the chief most of all. You see, the only reason that you have hope is that Jesus one day saved you. That's it. You were unlovely, full of sin, and Jesus saved you because he cared about you and loved you. Amen? I'll wait for you to say amen because that's one of those amen statements. Three of you? Okay, awesome. That's good. I guess the others are superior. Worst of sinners. We've not arrived yet. What business is it of ours to sit in judgment on others? What makes us morally superior anyway? We must never forget that the mere speck of dust that we see in someone else's eye is nothing to compare to the two-by-four sitting in ours. Our job is to convey we are the humblest people on the earth rather than the guardians of moral truth and righteousness in the world. Our job is to never judge others as Jesus said in our text or as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, never hold anyone's sin against them. We are ambassadors and representatives of healing and reconciliation. That's what we ought to be doing. Instead of just sniping each other to death. And that's what we do. We snipe each other to death. Oh, did you hear about it? Oh, did you hear that? And if we, if we enter it as a prayer request somehow, that's okay. So now that we know... What salt is not, let's look at the Bible to see what salt should be. We'll start in Leviticus chapter 2 and verse 13. It's there in your outline. Season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to all your offerings. Salt must have been really important in this passage in Leviticus. You see, God knew and God knows that we need to be a seasoning, a flavoring in the lives of people. Words bring healing. Amen? Words also bring division. Words also bring anger and bitterness and hurtfulness. But we need to spend time bringing words of healing and reconciliation. It's hard for you to say something mad and, and mean and evil if you have a smile on your face. Have you noticed that? Okay, I want you to try it. I want you to turn to your neighbor and look at him with a smile and say, God, you're ugly. <laughs> See, you can't do it. You're laughing too hard. Now, some of you are some of you are pretty good at it. Yeah, you're ugly. <laughs> It's hard, isn't it? You see, if we bring a good word now, I want you to look at that same neighbor and say, no, you're not. You are beautiful. That even makes you smile. What do you say that now? 
the more we can do that, the better our world's going to be. The more we can do that, the more our house is going to be. The more we do that, the more my life is going to be. In tune with the things that God would want them to be in tune with. God had the Israelites use salt as a part of his covenant with them. And there's a whole lesson just on the salt covenant. But God made a covenant with them using salt. And when they would consecrate something to God, he would have them put salt on it. That's what this verse is referring to. It's a little bizarre if you think about it. And it may be odd to us, but it's what God wanted. And so they were obedient to do what God wanted them to do. They use salt as a sign of the covenant to consecrate something to God. So when Jesus says that we are salt, we need to hear him saying, you are the sign of the covenant of God to the world. You and I, as salt, are the covenant of God to this lost and dying world. How are we doing? We are to preserve the covenant that God has placed in us. We are to flavor the world with our acts of of sacrificial love. You have seen that demonstrated time and time again over the last three or four weeks as we've watched Oklahomans people respond to tragedy. I will never ever forget the visual picture of the news because see now news is right on right at the moment, right? And so they're in Moore, Oklahoma when that EF5 passed through that neighborhood in those elementary schools. The, 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 the cameras were there, and they saw what I saw and what perhaps you saw, and that's people getting up and coming out of their holes and running to help other people. Not walking, they were running to help other people. That's what God wants us to be in this lost and dying world. We should be so passionate about getting the Word of God into the lives of people that we run to the fight. We run to the tragedy. We run to bring hope and help and healing and reconciliation to those in need. That's what God wants you and me to be. God forged a new covenant with the world when He took on the flesh and when He became man and just like us, and He died on the cross. So through the cross, God is saying, I covenant to love you like this. I covenant to reconcile you to Myself. I covenant to break you free from the bondage of sin. I covenant with you to bind Satan's ability to drag you to hell. I covenant to form you into My likeness. And the cross is saying, will you accept that invitation? Will you accept that invitation? The way this works for all of us who say yes to this invitation is to live a kind of life that puts this covenant with God on display. We are the salt of the earth, which means we are to be a reminder to people of the covenant that God has made with them. We are salt by treating others the way God treated us. We are salt by the way we forgive others just as God has forgiven us. And if we are the salt in this way, we will live out the Beatitudes in the world and those we encounter will be forever changed because the Beatitudes are the qualities of someone who is consistently living out the call of God in their life. A crucial point is for salt to preserve and season food, it has to be distinct from that food, it has to remain in contact 
with that food. A crucial point is for salt to preserve and season food, it has to be distinct from that food, but has to remain in contact with that food. If the salt blends in with the food, it can't be a source of preservation or seasoning. Or if the salt is kept away from the food, it can't be a source of preservation or seasoning. Any of you watch diners, dives, and... Thank you. We happened to catch that yesterday. I don't know where this guy finds all of these places to eat. But there was one, and I'm not even sure where it was. Oh, it was in Michigan. It was across the street from the University of Michigan. Did any of you catch that one yesterday? They make, they make the hamburger in little balls like this. And depending on how many you want is how many they put together. This girl was eating seven, seven of them, three different times. So, so she'd eat 21 hamburgers. These were like a quarter pound a piece, these balls. And they would pile them all together and make up this, this massive sandwich. She ate three of those. She was a hockey player. And it was some kind of a challenge that she wanted to be the first one to eat 21 hamburgers. I thought, she's nuts. Because they had everything, I mean, you could, everything in the world you could want on there. I, I thought, just go to the garbage disposal and just throw what's in there on top of that. That looks good. Let's go for it. But you know, somehow it starts to lose what it's all about after that. If you put enough jalapenos on it, you can't taste anything. <laughs> if you put enough onions on there, you can't taste anything. But if you put them in just the right way, you can taste everything. And that's what's important to remember about us and what we're doing in the world. So if we're going to be salt, we must, on the one hand, remain distinct from the world, but also remain in contact with the world. John says it this way, be in the world, but not of the world. We have to function in the world, and we should always be mixing it up with non-Christians. We should always be about that. We shouldn't just hang around Christians all the time. Get around some non-Christians. It'll be good for you. You might rub off on them. The reality is we can't be the salt God needs in the world if we stay huddled up at the church. If we only hang around Christians, then we can't really get done what God needs us to get done in this world. We've got to get out there in the world, make a difference in people's lives. We are commanded to share the good news with everyone we come in contact with. It's not an option. It's a command. Do you understand that? It's a command. And at the same time, we can't blend in with the world. We can't be a preserving salt or seasoning salt if we act just like they do. Divorce is the same rate in the church as it is outside the church. It's not very good. If salt loses its saltiness, what good is it, Jesus says? It's not good for anything but to be thrown in the ground and trampled like dirt. What he's saying is the purpose of salt is to be salty. There's nothing worse than to grab a bunch of salt that isn't salty. Why do we put salt on watermelon? It makes it sweeter. How does it make it sweeter? I have no idea. But some of us do that. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Salt isn't supposed to be sweet. How does it make watermelon sweeter? Well, I don't think it really does, but I was told that it does. You take a good seedless watermelon that's yellow meated, whoo, Lord have mercy. And you get it good and cold. That's what heaven's going to be like. It's not going to be red. It's going to be yellow. 
Not going to have seeds. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Hmm. Saltiness. If our lives don't offer the sacrificial love of God, then we really don't have much to offer to a lost and a dying world. Jesus makes the same connection when he talks about the light. He says, you're the light of the world. A light does two things. On the one hand, it contrasts with the darkness and allows people to see what's in the room, what's real. Nothing's hidden in the darkness. And light in the ancient world can serve as a beacon in the darkness of night, showing the way to go. And that's why Jesus says the light is like a city on a hill. In the ancient world, traveling in the night was always a dangerous thing to do. What Jesus is saying is that if we follow him and display the qualities of the Beatitudes, we're going to contrast with the darkness of the world, and that will allow people to see the truth about God and the truth about what he's up to in this world, and we will be that beacon of light that shows people how to get to heaven. The reality is that every day there are people around us living in darkness. Now, they don't necessarily know that, but they're in darkness. People who don't have a clue what's going on. People who don't have a clue about who God is. People who don't have a clue what they're worth. How much God values them. They don't have a clue at the danger they're in if they resist the love of God that's provided for them for salvation. But they'll never hear it if you and I don't tell them somebody told you. Be so kind as to return the favor and tell somebody. That's why most people waste their lives chasing after stuff that really doesn't matter. It leads to emptiness beyond their ability to see it. Our job as kingdom people, as covenant people, is to live in such a way that contrasts with that way of living and demonstrates about the true God and the true kingdom and the truth about a real Savior and about the truth of this revolution that's going on. And the beauty of that is what draws people into the kingdom. And that's how the kingdom expands. We are salt and light. And if the salt is no longer salty, it's worthless. So if the light doesn't shine, it's also worthless. So if we aren't salty and we're not shining lights into the dark world, then what good are we? What good are we? If you have a light in your house and you put a bowl on it, which is how that actually put out the light in the Old, in the, in the Old Testament and New Testament, what good is it? It doesn't show anything. It blends in with the darkness. The purpose of light is to shine. The purpose of salt is to be salty. And the purpose of being a disciple of Jesus is to be salt and light. And the purpose of being a disciple of Jesus is to serve the world and demonstrate the covenant relationship we have with Jesus to a lost and a dying world. The purpose of being a disciple is to flavor people's lives with the love of God through acts of loving kindness and service. The purpose of being a disciple is to push back the darkness, to contrast with the darkness so people will begin to see what's real and what's going on, who is their creator, what their purpose is in life the purpose of being a disciple is to point lost people in a direction of safety and truth and truth so that we can they and they can find out who they truly are and find out their true identity and their true destiny they find out what they have been hungering for for so long that's our job that's our role that's our purpose So you see, when we surrender our lives to Christ, we benefit, yes, but the real purpose is so that we can lead others to that same surrendered life. When we become as passionate about others, finding Jesus as their Savior, and as a church, we won't be able to contain the crowds. We won't be able to stop the people from flowing in here. There's empty chairs today. Sad, sad, sad. 
Sad, sad, sad. Every chair should be full. We should have to carry chairs. We don't have enough chairs. We've got TV monitors set up so people can watch and hear and be a part of what we're going to do when we expand and explode. Why don't we pray for that? Why don't we hope that? Why don't we get that? Why don't we get up and make it happen? Because we're afraid. We're afraid. And we like right where we are. I don't want to grow. I don't want to be any bigger. Why haven't we grown consistently over the years? Why haven't we been a church of three, four hundred, five hundred, six hundred? Well, we couldn't meet here if they had that many. Yeah, we could. You just got to have eight, nine, ten services every, every weekend. That's all right. Those churches doing that all the time. Right? So what's wrong with us? Well, um, it gets deathly quiet, doesn't it? You see, if we grow complacent, and we become satisfied, which I'm afraid we may have. We're going to stay right where we are. And that's not what God wants. God wants us to be more than that. 25 families. When we reach 25 families, we'll go to two services. We need 25 more families, and we'll go to two services. And then we can double both of those. Wouldn't that be fun? See, you could come at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning. Be done by 10.30. Whole day's in front of you. Glory to God. Amen. See? Even offer a Saturday night church. That way you have a guilt-free Sunday. Oh, there's churches that they have, they have almost hour by hour by hour by hour. You don't have to worry about coming at a certain time. Sleep in, get up, go get, same thing. Here we go. Have we lost our saltiness? Do we care about the lost so much that we're not going to sit back and be complacent? Are we going to shine that light in the darkness so that people see it? Peter says it in 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellence of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Would you underline that phrase, may proclaim? In fact, I think I already underlined it for you. <laughs> just in case you didn't have a pen. Look at this. That you may proclaim. You're a chosen people, a holy nation, but it's not just because you're who you are. It's so that you can do something about it. You are to proclaim the praises of Him who's called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. If you were told you had cancer and a month later the doctor said you are healed, you're going to walk out of his office and go, yeah, I kind of knew it was going to happen. You know, that's no big deal. I mean, I, after all. <laughs> I mean, I'm, right? I'll bet you as soon as he said, you're cancer free, you're going to do, what? No way. Oh, you, whoa. Then you're going to get your cell phone out and you don't, you don't know how to use it. And you're going to call people that you don't even know who they are, but you're going to tell them, I'm cancer free. <laughs> You'll probably go to the grocery store and check out the same girl that checked you out and you goes, ha, ha, I'm cancer free. You don't want to know that. I'm cancer free. Ha, ha, ha. You're going to be excited about being cancer free, aren't you? Why aren't you that excited and passionate about the fact that you've been saved from the pits of hell? That God lifted you and saved you. Why aren't you that excited and passionate? Oh, no, I can't do that. But you're a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a chosen race for the purpose so that you may proclaim Woo, you can't sit back and keep your mouth shut. Open your mouth, people. 
Start proclaiming the saving knowledge of Jesus with those that you come in contact with. Man, he's all fired up today. Wow. Man. And you guys will even go, oh, he was fired up today. Man, I'm telling you. Oh, but what does it matter? I can get all fired up if I want to. I could run up, jump on the top of the church and preach again. What good is it going to do you if you don't bring one with you? Preaching's been in vain. The nation of Israel was supposed to do that. They were supposed to be bearers of God's light through, this, through His grace into the lost world, but they forgot. And they called themselves, well, we're the blessed group. And a lot of them today believe that they have a special anointing on them because they're Israelites. They've forgotten who they are and why they are. That's why they need to come to Jesus too, just like everybody else. They're blessed. That's what happens in the churches. We get to be so blessed that we forget why we're here. And we begin to look down our noses at those that are lost and those that are in positions that we're not very comfortable with. And, oh, we don't want to, we don't want to, we don't want to, we don't talk to them. I mean, last week we had testimonies of four girls that I don't think our church would reach out to if they weren't in the position they were last Sunday. I say that to you. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? That's pretty harsh, isn't it? I mean, you got some that were teenage pregnant, right? You got some that were pregnant at 14. Are we going to minister to them? Or do we wait till them to get, for them to get into Freedom House before we wait? We get them, we get, let's get them cleaned up before we minister to them. You see the tattoos all over those girls? And some of you just, you have whore tattoos. I know you do. You told me. No problem. But you got to look past the tattoo to the heart. Amen? I heard, I heard four girls who said, I found Jesus. <laughs> that one that was born with cerebral palsy. You see her raise her right arm? As, and withered as it was, she still raised it with a smile on her face. She's a grandmother three times over. She can't, how old is she? You see what I'm saying? Are we taking the message to the lost and dying world or are we just saying, eh, you know, they're not like us. Eh. We're blessed. We need to remember our calling. We have a job to do. We are called and empowered to have lifestyles that are in contrast to the world's lifestyles and, and yet lifestyles that are always mixing it up with the world so that we can be that royal priesthood that God has called us to be so we can be the salt and the light that God needs to change people's lives. Notice Jesus doesn't say that you carry the light. He says you are the light. Difference. Difference. You are the light. You don't just carry it. You are the light. And it's a contradiction to us not to be of the world, not to mix it up to this, to, to this world that's lost and dying. That's who we are. We're supposed to get in there and mix it up. We just don't need to be like them. We need to be above them. We need to live like Jesus said to live and, and mix among them and bring them out of that darkness. That's what I mean by living above them. Bring them out of that darkness. Now it's going to get a little uncomfortable for you. Are we doing our job? Do our lives differ considerably and significantly from the surrounding culture? Do we differ? I mean, in a covenant way? Do we live differently, not by some outward set of rules like the Pharisees, but by an internal way that shows God's love in an unconditional way to everyone we meet? Are we showing that love by how we spend our money? 
How we just simply live our lives? Are we mixing it up with the world? Are we finding opportunities to invite them to join us in the kingdom? Are we being salt and light to our families, our neighbors, our co-workers, those people we work out with? Now let me go a little deeper. The crowd was following Jesus because of various reasons, some curious, some, see, some seeking healing, some because they were hearing teaching they'd never heard before. The crowd was following Jesus because they felt it would benefit them in some way, and that's the way the world views things. It's there to meet my needs. That is the church, other people. They're there to meet my needs. It's all about me. What benefit is it in it for me? But you see, the disciple of Jesus puts that question on the back burner. The question of what benefit is it for me is put, put away. But rather that disciple of Jesus asks, how can I be of benefit to the cause of Jesus Christ? What gift do you have that you can share, that you can use? Or are you just going to sit back and wait for somebody else to do it? Well, that's what we hired you for, preacher. You're the one supposed to go out there and tell them. No, I'm supposed to equip you to go out there and tell them, but I can't equip you if you don't want to be equipped. <laughs> uh. As long as a person has a kingdom heart, God can work with them. Are you ready to be a part of God's revolution? Are you ready to make His qualities your qualities? Are you ready, truly ready to be salt and light in this dark world of sin? And the good news is that God is ready to move in you in such a way that you will begin to impact the culture around you, your family, your friends, co-workers, workout buddies. God is ready to influence them through you. So now the question, are you ready? Father, we ask you this morning, ask you this morning to really do something in us. We've played around long enough. If we stay the same, then what good are we? We must become an alive, a vibrant, alive church that's willing to love Anybody that comes in the door, no matter who they are or what they are. We need to be the kind of church that loves people the way your son Jesus loves people, and that's unconditionally. And Father, if we can help them, we will, and if we can't, we'll pray for them. God, we need to be that kind of church. Wouldn't it be a church that's so passionate about the lost that even though, even though I may not be personally able to say what needs to be said because I just, I just can't do that, I can sure pray for the lost. If, if, if pastor would just give me some names, I'll begin to pray for those people that, that they'll come to find you. God, I'm going to make my own list. I don't need to wait on the pastor. I'm going to make my own list of three to five people that I'm going to start to pray for that they're going to find you. And that, God, that you'll lay a message on my heart that I can share with them because I know them and they'll listen to me and they'll hear me. But, but God, they won't hear a thing until they see me changed, until they see me different. So, God, is there somebody in this room and said, I've had enough living the way I've been living. I'm, I'm ready to live kingdom life. I'm ready to live a salt and light life. I'm ready to truly, truly be a disciple of yours. God, move in that person today. I've been praying this morning for your Holy Spirit to be released. Holy Spirit, I release you now to prick the hearts of your people sitting in this room today. We should be double the size we are today next Sunday. 
if we take this message to heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't know who you are, what you are, what 